it's been really crazy. It's been really cool that we had like Kenny last week who poured a lot into us over, the, over our earlier stages in our lives, especially when we were younger. And then uh, Pastor Scott and, and Ruth, who are, who, who are going to be going to Indonesia, who's going to be speaking in just a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, this is a couple that's really believed in Don and I. Like more so, again, more so than most people have, and they've really, really, really backed it up. When we, even when we were in New York, uh, when, so, so he took an incredible step of faith, and, and I'll let him probably tell you all about that in a minute. But Pastor Scott was the missions director for Mount Hope Church uh, before, before deciding, hey, I'm going to go in the field, before feeling that call to Jesus, from Jesus to go in the mission field. And, uh, so, and, and in that role... He actually, like, when we, and Don and I were in New York, they would come to New York and, just, and, and they would check on us and they'd take us out to eat and they'd, and they'd buy us, like, these really, really delicious food and we'd have awesome brisket and just awesome, awesome, amazing times. Like, he'd just come and he'd make sure that we were okay, even though we were kind of, um, kind of, we were just a few of us in New York and sometimes it, feel, it can get lonely and they just always wanted to make sure we knew we're not alone and they would support us in that effort. And then when we moved here to Detroit, they took that support and they ramped it up, like, 400%. And, uh, and actually, I... I, I I'll say this, so, you, so some of you have lived in the Courage House, most of you, a lot of you have at least been to the Courage House. Um, we wouldn't have the Courage House if it wasn't for Pastor Scott Thompson. We would not have it. Uh, there's not anybody that has supported our church more. There's not anybody who's, uh, for, especially from the perspective of, hey, I'm actually going to tangibly put hands and feet to this. I'm going to make sure these things happen for you. Uh, Pastor Scott has been on our side uh, from the very, very beginning uh, of the time that Don and I have been here, and really before then as well, uh, when Pastor Chile was here. So he's just been a friend, an incredible friend. He's somebody who Don and I, we, 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 we would go to Lansing, and he would take us out, and he would check on us, and he'd always just see, how are you doing? Hey, what's been happening? Um, just amazing, amazing friend. And so when, when we found out he's going to Indonesia, even though we, we can barely do anything compared to like what they've done for us, right away we're like, we have to support them. We've got to get on board with what God is doing in Indonesia and through this amazing couple because uh, this is more than anybody. They've just invested and invested and poured into Courage Church. And so we really wouldn't be uh, who we are uh, if it weren't for them. We might not even be open if it weren't for them. I don't know. I think God would still do something, but it's pretty amazing. So we're very, very grateful uh, for you guys. And so I just want to introduce to you Scott uh, and, and Ruth Thompson. Oh, Pastor Jacob, thank you so much. I want to say what an honor and privilege it is to be here this morning, and I want to thank you for inviting us. And I want to thank you also, just as you were mentioning, you have been such dear and amazing friends to us personally for so many years that we just treasure the friendship that we have. And what a wonderful opportunity to be right here in Courage Church a church that loves God, a church that loves the lost, and a church that wants to be carriers of hope, not only locally, but globally. I love that this is such a missional church, that you want to see what God is doing, and you want to be in the very middle of it. And that is always so exciting. So, as Pastor Jacob was saying, we are Scott and Ruth Thompson, newly appointed career missionaries to Indonesia. On the slide here, you can see our family. We have a son, Paul, who is 24, a daughter, Rebecca, that is 20. Unfortunately, they're not going to Indonesia with us. It's one of the things that just breaks our heart. But we are still really excited about what God has in store for us. So anyway, let's talk a little about Indonesia. Indonesia is basically the other side of the world from us right here. 
So it is just north of the Barrier Reef. It is south of like Vietnam, Cambodia, Philippines. But there's two interesting facts, probably more than two, but two things. One is that Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. The other thing is Indonesia has more people than Russia. Here's this huge country. Here's the most populated Muslim country. And unless there's an earthquake and tsunami that some of you may have heard about that devastated one of the islands, we rarely hear anything about it. But the harvest there is so plentiful. So, before I pray, I want to ask a question. Why would Ruth and I decide to leave the country that we love? Why would we leave our kids, our friends, our family? Why would we leave the comforts of America to a less developed country? Why would we go to a predominantly Muslim country, especially Ruth? <laughs> And why would we go to a country where just earlier this year, ISIS sent three groups of suicide bombers to blow themselves up in three different Christ gatherings? Why would we do that? And I'm glad you asked. And that's what we're going to answer today. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you that you have equipped us and prepared us to be world changers. Lord, we thank you that you have equipped us that wherever we go, we bring the presence and power of the kingdom of God to that place. Lord, we thank you that to every person that we speak to, we are carriers of hope to a land that is so starved for hope. Lord, we just pray right now that you would do those things that only you can do, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us concerning eternal matters, that, Lord, you would fill not only this place, but each of our hearts, minds, and spirits with your presence and power. And, Lord, we just pray that you would impart something of a heavenly nature inside of us today as we ever draw closer to you. And we pray this right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So why would we do something crazy like that and go to a place like that? Well, I think that really a good place to start is the story of a young lady named Natalie. We're going to call her Natalie for security reasons. That's not her real name. We're going to be talking about Carl, too. That's not his real name. Actually, these aren't even their real pictures. These are people about the same age of them. But we also wanted, for security reasons, not to display their actual faces here. But Natalie grew up in a predominantly Muslim country, a lot like Indonesia. Natalie, at the age of 26, had a vision of Jesus. And Jesus led her to the cross. She knew immediately that this was no ordinary dream. Excuse me if I tease a little bit. She knew it wasn't bad pizza. She knew this was a heaven-sent vision that God gave her. And she knew that she had to find out who this Jesus was. She searched high and she searched low. Day after day, week after week, month after month, trying to find somebody, anybody, who could tell her who this Jesus is. Finally, after eight months of searching, 
she came across this American couple that were missionaries from America to that land who could tell her who Jesus was. When she found out who Jesus was, when she found out the depth of God's love for her, she immediately gave her life to the Lord. She was baptized, even at great personal risk to herself, and she established a church right there in her own apartment. Who better to reach Muslims for Christ than a former Muslim? But a couple key takeaways from this. First of all, it's because of churches like yours that are willing to pray, to invest financially, and to intercede for missionaries like Ruth and I that make these stories possible. You see, Ruth and I, we can't do this on our own. We need churches here like yours and people like you who are willing to say, yes, I will pray. Yes, I will give so that the word of God can go forth with power and might and reach people like Natalie. The other thing that Ruth and I soon realized is that even when God does the miraculous and reveals himself in a dream or a vision, it still takes a devoted follower of Jesus close by who can train, equip, mentor, and disciple that person. So first of all, they know who this Jesus is, and they can accept this Jesus. And second of all, so they can be well-equipped for the work of the ministry that God has called them to do. You see, the first reason that we're going to Indonesia is a simple word called access. Because what is the difference between an unsaved person in America and an unsaved person in a predominantly Muslim country? And on one hand, there's no difference because unfortunately, somebody that hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is facing eternal punishment. But on the other hand, there can be all the difference in the world. You see, here in America, we're typically going to have a devoted follower of Jesus in our workplace. We're very likely going to have a devoted follower of Jesus in our neighborhood. We're going to be driving by churches, and even an agnostic or an atheist will likely go into a church, if nothing else, for a funeral or a wedding. You can typically go on the Internet unfiltered. You can typically try to find a Christian bookstore. But in a predominantly Muslim country, none of these things may be the case. You can live your entire life without ever meeting a devoted follower of Jesus. What if that missionary couple was not in that land? Would Natalie have ever found somebody who could have told her about Jesus? That's why I'm so thankful for you, because you're making a difference. You're making a difference right here locally in Detroit and globally around the world in places like China and Indonesia. One of the things that breaks roots in my heart is that Indonesia has, well, you know, we'll tell you what breaks our heart here in a second, but 17,508 islands. They say that between six and 8,000 of those islands are inhabited. That means there's 2,000 islands that they're not even sure if they're inhabited or not. So what breaks our heart is there's still 
entire villages, tribes, and communities that since the time that Christ walked this earth 2,000 years ago until today have yet to see the feet of anybody who could bring them a clear gospel proclamation. Sometimes we talk about the unreached. Ruth and I, we want to go to the never reached and tell them about Jesus. Matthew 9, verses 37 through 38 says, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Oswald J. Smith says, We talk about the second coming when half the world has never heard of his first. You see, lostness and darkness are everywhere, but the light is not everywhere. And Ruth and I, we want to go for the light is very dim. And we want to be a bright light in that dark place. One of the things that sort of, you know, really, I was going to say haunts, I don't know if that's a good word in a church, but one of the things that really, you know, is weighs heavy on our spirit is the phrase, the good news is only good if it gets there in time. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about the difference your church is making. Because a missionary by the name of Dick Brogdon uses the analogy of a spear. I, I love the spear, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> it's the kid in me coming out. But anyway, you see, you have the tip of the spear. And let's say that tip of the spear is like the pioneer missionary. But if I had a spear tip in my hand and I threw it, there's a few things that you would notice. First of all, there's not good accuracy when I throw that little spear tip. Second of all, there's not a lot of distance. There's not going to be power behind it to embed into much of anything. It's just going to roll around and flop a little bit. But you tie that spearhead to the handle of the spear, and the whole activity of that spearhead changes. Because when I have that long handle behind that spearhead, I can throw that spear, and I'm going to have accuracy, I'm going to have distance, and I'm going to have power for that to embed into that target. You, as the local church, and the church is not a building, the church are the individuals that are a part of that Christ community, you as the church are the handle of that spear. You see, it's because of your prayer and intercession, you're lifting us up, that you cause us to have the power, the strength, and the accuracy. Because you see, what we're doing is we're fighting a spiritual war. And we can't fight the spiritual war alone. We need a group of intercessors. I love a saying that says that when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. It's through your prayers that we see such a change. That's why I am so thankful for Pastor Jacob and Courage Church. Because when we first got appointed as career missionaries earlier this year, this was the very first church to say, yes, we're behind you. We're going to support you monthly. Since then, we've had a lot of other churches get on board and partner with us, and we are so thankful 
for each and every one of them, but you will always hold a very special place to us because you were the very first. Let me tell you a story about a person that we'll call Carl. Before we decided to be missionaries to Indonesia, and since at the time Ruth had never been to a predominantly Muslim country, I thought wisdom might dictate that we actually go and visit this land. And we actually did. We visited two countries back-to-back, Turkey and Indonesia. And I had a friend from Assemblies of God World Mission that says, we will orchestrate for you to visit three different locations in Indonesia. And we did. And they advertised, we have an American pastor that's coming, and he's going to be teaching a Bible school. And there was this young college student named Carl. When he heard about a Bible study, several people came to the Bible study. He, on his lunch break, traveled over an hour one way in a region of four to five million people so he could hear more about what the Bible had to say. Ruth initially thought that Carl was being a little antagonistic, but he wasn't being antagonistic. He really wanted to know what the truth was, and he didn't want to settle for anything less. And we were able to have a great study of God's Word. We studied the book of John. We answered a variety of questions. We had a great dialogue. And we had friends that were able to follow up with Carl even after we left. And six weeks later, Carl came to the decision that he was ready to cross the line and be a devoted follower of Jesus. He, too, was baptized, and he, too, may be the very next church planner in Indonesia. Would that have happened if we didn't have people in that country? You see, who better to reach an Indonesian than a fellow Indonesian? But if the church is not strong enough, if the light is not bright enough, sometimes we need people that will go cross-culturally to reach them so that they can hear that good gospel proclamation and know what the truth is. And as the Word of God says, the truth will set them free. I want to share with you, because we have a couple other reasons why we're leaving all these things that are so great and going to a faraway place. But I really want to sort of share my story, or really our story, of how we came to this point, and I want to invite you to be a part of that journey as well. Because other than access, you see, God has placed you in a harvest field. Your neighborhood is a harvest field. Your workplace is a harvest field. And God has called you to make a difference in those places. God has called you to make a difference in this community where this church is. And I love this because I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, as the saying goes, because you are one of the most missional, outreach-oriented churches that I know. And I appreciate that because it's not about what just happens here on Sunday. This is a training and equipping point for the rest of the week so that you can impact those around you for all eternity. But the second reason that we're going is obedience. Obedience is a great thing. So as Pastor Jacob was talking about, I was involved in full-time ministry for 15 years. And it was great. 
And I remember about a couple years ago, I was in my office praying a prayer that I was sure was a godly prayer. And I was saying, God, make me successful. Help me to be successful in every area that I oversee, in every area that I influence. Help me to be successful. And I was sure this was a godly prayer because I knew God wanted me to be successful. I mean, I'm in ministry no less, right? But the problem is, is that God knows the hearts of every person. And God knew my heart. And God said to me, Scott, there's an element of pride in your prayer. Uh. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and I felt like God spoke to me and he says, I haven't called you to be successful. I've called you to be obedient. If you'll be obedient, I will be successful through you. I immediately thought of Moses. Moses had such a great call of God on his life. There he is wandering around. He sees the bush that's not on fire but not consumed. He walks close and he hears the voice of God. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And God calls Moses to Egypt. And what happened? He goes to Egypt. Hebrews reject him. Pharaoh rejects him. Hebrews get even more mad at him because they get extra work. And at the beginning, things don't look very good. But what does Moses do? Moses continues to be obedient to what God has asked him to do. You see, it wasn't up to Moses to bring the ten plagues. It wasn't up to Moses to divide the Red Sea. It wasn't up to Moses to bring manna from heaven or water from a rock. Those were all of God's responsibilities. Moses' responsibility was to be obedient. And as Moses was obedient, God did the miraculous. As you are obedient to God, and you're more concerned about obedience to God than you are about worldly success, you will see God do powerful things through your life. You will see miracles happen right before your very eyes. What has God called us to do? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. You see, God has called us not just to have converts, but to raise up disciples, people that are trained and equipped for the work of the ministry. You know, going back just a little bit, one of the other things that I was praying that God really dealt with me, I was praying, God, let my heart break with the things that break your heart. And God, give me joy with those things that give you joy. It didn't take me long to realize that what broke God's heart was lostness. And lostness is all around us. And what gives God the greatest joy is when people come to him. So it goes along with obedience. 
What do we want Jesus to be in our life? Do we want Jesus to be our Savior? Do we want Jesus to be our Lord? Hopefully the answer is both, but there's a big difference between the two. Because I think there's a lot of Christians out there that want Jesus to be their Savior. They want their sins forgiven. They want to go to heaven when this life is over. But are they willing to allow God to be their Lord? Are they willing to set aside their own objectives, wills, desires, plans, and submit to what God is doing? Because that's when God is truly Lord. One of the things that I've noticed in my own life during this journey is, am I asking God to bless what I am doing? Or am I asking God how I can be a blessing to what he is doing and be a part of that? Here's a question for you. Will you say yes to Jesus even before he asks the question? You see, if we're only willing to say yes after we know what he's going to ask, then that's sort of a qualified, well, it depends, Lord. And there's that word again, Lord. <laughs> but if it's truly the Lord's will, we will say yes. You see, that's why Jacob and Don, Pastor Jacob and Don are such heroes to me. They haven't chosen the easy road. They haven't chosen the easy things of life. When you're in the center of God's will, it's not always easy. It's a spiritual warfare. There's challenges that come up, but you just continue to be obedient. I have seen this couple, and I have seen how they're truly asking God, be our Lord. That's why I love them so much. And they're stepping out in faith each and every day, saying, yes, Lord, here we are. Send us, utilize us. And let us be servants of you. What great role models for all of us. And I want to thank you for a church because you exhibit that. I follow you guys a lot. I see all the different things that you do. I was just talking to somebody, you know, before service that says, I saw the backpack giveaway. And I immediately knew this is the type of church I want to be a part of because you're being a light to the community. The third reason is because of the value of a soul. What is the value of a soul? Luke 15, verses 4 through 7 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 just persons who need no repentance. The very next portion of Scripture talks about the same thing. Luke 15, 8 through 10. And it was interesting that when we had our song service, we sang about the 99. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If we lose something of value, we search high and low for that item of value. If something is lost, we want to find it. And as Jesus is giving these examples of people that have lost something of value, a sheep, a coin, he then says what? He talks about what causes God and the angels to rejoice. And that's a lost person, a sinner that repents. And so my encouragement to you and to myself is as we go about our day and our week, will we just go by sort of lackadaisical or will we search out for lost people that we can tell them about Jesus? Because lost people are all around us. We talk a lot about social justice today. And I am so thankful for the things that we can do as believers in meeting human needs. I love the fact that we can support initiatives to free people from human trafficking. I'm glad that we can feed the hungry. I'm glad that we can take care of orphans. I'm glad we can provide clear and clean drinking water. And as believers in Christ, out of an act of love, we should do all those things. But we have to keep in mind at the same time that the greatest social injustice is those who have had their sins bought and paid for and have not yet heard. We can use all those other factors of orphans and victims of human trafficking and the hungry and the thirsty and we can use those elements to demonstrate God's love and then tell them the greatest story ever told. I've heard it said before that sometimes hungry stomachs have no ears. Sometimes we have to feed people in order for them to even be able to see a demonstration of God's love, even before we can have a platform in which to communicate God's love to them. But we always have to make sure that we're at the very heart of what God is after, and that is telling lost people what his one and only begotten son did for them. What value did God place on souls? Well, he sent his own son out of heaven, for there was constant praise and worship for a son among the angels to a very harsh place called earth a place where they would ridicule him, lie about him, mistreat him, eventually torture him and kill him. But God so loves each and every one of us that God was willing to send his very best for us. And if God's willing to do that for us as believers, what are we willing to do for God to come alongside God and be his agents here on earth and be proclaimers of the truth. So we go back to what I talked about earlier. 
Will you be willing to be a laborer in the harvest field that God has planted you in? Romans 10, verses 14 and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's what Pastor Jacob does here each and every week. As he equips you, he prepares you, he teaches so that you can be sent from here and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I love what 1 Corinthians 5.20 says. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a person from one country or kingdom that lives in a foreign land. You see, as believers in Christ, the United States is not our citizenship. It may be legally or whatever else, but spiritually, we are children from the kingdom of heaven. That is our country. And that is the country that we get to represent. We get to represent the kingdom of God wherever we go as his ambassadors. It reminds me of a story from the Mall of America in Minnesota. We have some friends, and the wife was shopping in the mall. Shocking, I know. And... <laughs> And while she was in the mall, she came across this Muslim woman, had a hijab. And so she went up to her and started a conversation with her. How hard is that? And they talked about things that women typically talk about. They talked about their husband and their kids and their dreams and their plans. They even talked about their faith. As they were going around the mall, they came to this chocolate shop. And so they went in, and this Muslim woman said, what chocolates are good to eat here? And the American says, oh, I love these and these and these. You should try these three. These are the best, I think. And this woman bought the chocolate and gave it to the American. And she said, I just want to say thank you. In the six months I have been here, you're the first American that has talked to me. You see, here is a woman in a land where there is religious freedom, in a land where there's access, but is there access? And there's only access if we, as devoted followers of Jesus, are willing to get outside of our comfort zone and engage in friendly conversations and be able to share the truth that we have. Since we are going to a Muslim nation, a lot of people will talk to us about Muslims. I remember after a service much like this one, I had this person from the greater Detroit area that told me about a coworker that he had that was a friend. And he was a Muslim. And he was a good man. But... He had yet to talk to him about Jesus. From a teaching standpoint, let's really think about that. 
because here we know the truth that can set us free. And first of all, are any of us really good? When we get right down to it, we're not. <laughs> the only goodness we have is Jesus in us, nothing that we've achieved or earned of our own accord. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Paraphrasing Isaiah 64.6, it says, paraphrase, our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. We can't be good enough because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that when we share about Jesus, we can't be prideful or arrogant or feel like we have it all together. The analogy that I love the most that somebody told me is that evangelism is like two beggars where one beggar tells the other beggar where the food is. We're no better than the other person. We just know where the truth is. And we can share that truth with them so that they can partake of that spiritual food too. It would be selfish for us to keep the food all to ourselves and not to share. I think sometimes in the society we have been taught so much about political correctness and not offending people that we don't tell them the truth that can set them free. And that's really not love, that's not kindness, that's not goodness, and that's not friendship. Our General Superintendent Doug Clay says we live in a time when society places a higher value on tolerance than it does truth. In keeping things in perspective, I love what David Davidson said. He says, if you found a cure for cancer, wouldn't it be inconceivable to hide it from the rest of mankind? How much more inconceivable to keep silent the cure of the eternal wages of death. If we knew the cure for cancer or AIDS, we would get that information out as quickly as possible. And yet these are diseases that just affect the physical body. We're dealing with something far much worse, dealing with sin that can affect our soul for eternity. But the good news is we have the cure. The good news is we can share that cure with everybody that we encounter. So let's think about what D.L. Moody said. This world is like a sinking ship. Save all you can. There's an urgency to what we need to do, what we need to see in Detroit and in Indonesia, and that is to save the lost through the power of God as we take that step of faith and get beyond our comfort zone. We will see God do the miraculous and change lives for all eternity. Thank you for being such an amazing church. Thank you for being a church of action. Thank you for being a church of love. And thank you for impacting lives for all eternity.